This is the Education Gadfly Show. You are a, a wonk's wonk, but that, that would be over the top. Okay, I'm sorry. I, I, Go ahead. I'm getting out wonk here, Mike. What does Gadfly say? Hello, this is your host, Mike Petrilli of the Thomas B. Fordham Institute here at the Education Gadfly Show and online at edexcellence.net. And now, please join me in welcoming my co-host, the Kate Middleton of Education Reform, because she is Reform Royalty, Lisa Graham Keegan. Yeah. Uh, Duchess to you, baby. There it is. I, I was asking. I, I thought Kate was a princess, but I guess nope. she's not yet not a, a princess. Yet. According, Where there's death, there's hope. Ah, <laughs> She'll be a princess. Yes. According to Alyssa, who is also with this Alyssa hey, Schwank. Hey, how's it going? Uh, wait, what, what's the other royalty that sliced somebody's face uh, this it week? Was, you can be that person. <laughs> I really do not want to be <laughs> no. Princess Eugenie. But no, Princess Eugenie sliced a pop star's face with a ceremonial sword. Oops. Oops. It happens. When you're mm-hmm. fake knighting people. It happens when, yeah. when you're when when you're drinking and you should not be. Lisa <laughs> is in town for Jeb Fest. High energy. It's a high energy thing. Jeb Fest. I don't care what Donald Trump thing. says. High energy. Also for School Choice Week. Mm-hmm. Big big meetings and parties ah, this week. For big parties for School yeah. Choice Week. Yeah. Yes. And, and very exciting. Wait, is this School Choice Week? No, it's in January, January 22nd mm-hmm. to the 28th. Thank you, Mike. So right confused. after the inauguration. All right. All right. Yeah. Thank goodness. Okay. Yeah. And Lisa just had a great event here in D.C. Uh, talking about A for Arizona. Lisa, very briefly, tell us, yeah. what is A for Arizona? What are you guys up to out there in the cactus patch, as Dr. Matt Ladner always calls it? Exactly. So A for Arizona is a project of the Arizona Chamber of Commerce Foundation in partnership with the Tucson Hispanic Chamber. And what we are interested in is expanding the number of A schools in Arizona, particularly low-income A schools. Mm-hmm. So we identified these schools in Arizona, about 100 of them, three years ago. And we started just calling them up and saying, hey, you look great. Could you guys come meet with us? And we created this cadre of leaders and started to focus on what they were doing, how they were doing it, and said to them, basically, look, we didn't get you guys together just to throw roses at you. We want you to get bigger, and we want you to tell us from a policy standpoint, how do you either grow your own school? This is district and charter schools, right, Mike? Because one of the things, one of the problems we've got is charters grow very quickly in Arizona, and we now have really done a pretty good job, I think, of making sure that our schools are high quality and they're growing quickly, but we've got a lot of great low-income A schools in the districts and their practice has not been Mm -hmm. to replicate, right? They're sort of stranded out there. So how do we pull them into this whole growth thing? And they've created this incredible cadre of leadership that's really addressing these problems themselves. We Mm -hmm. certainly... Um, as I say, we buy them a lot of beer and ask them to talk to each other. Yeah. <laughs> I, what I love about this and what is so unusual is that it is the A for Arizona is about focusing on A schools. It's saying right. we're going to celebrate excellent schools serving low income kids rather than the 98% of the reform conversation, which is what do we do with F schools? Mm-hmm. That's, that's exactly right. The other thing that happens, Mike, is that we assume that a low income school is going to be a failing school. And so we start to create a bunch of policies, weird policies. And what we do is we actually look at the data, low-income A schools. Yeah. They have a higher teacher retention than any class of schools in Arizona. They beat high-income, high-quality mm-hmm. high, uh, schools. Right. Why? Huge cultural fit, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. They just, it, they will say they look at 200 people before they hire anybody. Mm-hmm. Just a lot of focus on discipline. So you have to, you have to isolate these guys and, it, and change beliefs about what's possible. Mm-hmm. And don't start creating policy because you think... Yeah. Poor school, and and, poor and, and and look, and I, I'm trying to get my head around this, but you're saying it is definitely doable in the district sector as well, mm-hmm. uh, which is great. All right. We well, hope hey, so. A, a lot to do here today to talk about. There's been, man, it's like all of a sudden crazy amount of news coming at us. It's been a lot of news. I it's was, been a lot of, 
Yeah. The Secretary DeVos announcement, I was in the immigration line in Costa Rica when that broke. It's yeah. just been a crazy amount of news in a crazy short Did time. Did you immigrate? <laughs> <laughs> At you the airport. I see. I, see. I was going for a relaxing vacation. I don't know. It's, it's rough here. It's four minutes. <laughs> All right. It does, actually. That's why. Well, the long, the long story there. Okay. So that's, uh, <laughs> let's now have Ed Reform, reform Update. Up. All right, Lisa. By the way, people should know if you don't, it's crazy that you don't know this, but Lisa Keegan was a state superintendent in Arizona. Eons ago. Many moons ago. And she was also leading something that was the kind of the precursor to Chiefs for Change, the Education Leaders Council. That's right. So she was a Chief for Change before there was Chiefs for Change. That's right. And uh, it was cool. And before it was cool. (laughs) Exactly. All right. Now, Lisa, let's talk about Betsy DeVos as education secretary. Surprised a lot of people that this was the pick, myself included. And it uh, seems to signify, if nothing else, that Donald Trump is serious about doing something big on school choice from D.C. Is this a good idea or should we say shoot us before we kill again? What, what, what's your take on this? <laughs> Great idea. It, first of all, it shifts the game on the field in one name, right? I mean, yeah. all of a sudden, this is genuinely about school choice and mm-hmm. opportunities for people mm-hmm. to choose a school that works for them, opportunities for school leaders to create schools in a marketplace. I, I just think it's a magnificent choice. Really? It's, it's, it's not about really billionaires perfect. and privatization. And I thought that's what I've been hearing. Uh, that's, what, that, that's what all the kids on Twitter are saying. You know what? You know? I've heard that. Um, and fortunately for me, I'm too old to spend too much time in social media or I'd be depressed, I think. But I think what's great about this pick actually is that if people really know Betsy, they know she's she's agnostic. She wants quality access to quality, right? Mm -hmm. She actually gives a lot of money to the district schools in uh, Michigan. I don't Mm -hmm. want to deflate anybody there, but she's really not about a particular kind of school. She's about choices that Mm -hmm. work for kids, whether that be traditional district, public charter, private school, career technical, what career technical, Mm -hmm. great point. Whatever is working. um, She's, she's been a big backer and she's also been a voice for unity in sort of the movement around mm-hmm. all of these things. I remember when she came on board and really brought charters into the conversation because previously her organization had been mostly just about private schools. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, in its prior incarnation, I actually served on the board when John Walton was still mm-hmm. around. And you remember that those days, Mike. But she she really gravitated it towards a more, uh, a broader view of what choice is. All right, but, but many of us on the right are still nervous about doing anything big on this topic from Washington. I mean, Certainly, some of us have lived through the Common Core Wars and feel still like... Still have the scars. Still have the scars and the cowboy boots. <laughs> uh, that this would have gone much differently, much better, had the federal government not gotten involved. You know, here we have 25 states are controlled entirely by Republicans. Another 36 have, you know, two legislative chambers that have, you know, two-thirds of the governors are Republicans. I mean, isn't it possible that the best thing the federal government can do on this front is just nothing? To stop and let uh, the states lead on this. Do you worry at all that if she comes out and tries to push, let's say, a, a big program to have Title I dollars be portable to private schools or a big race to the top kind of program for private school choice, which is things that people are talking about. And Trump, you know, basically did, did promise on the campaign that this could have blowback, that we could screw up the promising move towards school choice if it comes from Washington. I think it's about a presumptive lens, Mike. A presumptive lens that means I view this in a lens that says money should travel to kids that need it for schools that are great for them. Yeah. 
And you can view Title I through that. And then all of a sudden, private schools are included. All of a sudden, mm-hmm. high-quality schools that serve low-income kids are included. Right mm-hmm. now, we fund a lot of failure out there. you got to fail to qualify for dollars. It's outrageous, mm-hmm. even in low-income communities. So the schools we work with, for example, low-income A schools, don't qualify for Title I dollars in a lot of instances because they're mm. too good. Mm. It's ridiculous, it right? Ridiculous. Yeah. So the lens is about serving the kids, money-following kids to programs or learning environments that work for them. If that's the lens we're going to shift to, I think that's magnificent. And I don't think we have to assume that there's going to be this horrendous shift. You mentioned Title I dollars. They already exist. And we just all assume, we're presumptive, that those are going to go into traditional public schools, maybe to charter schools if we can take out a few. Why? Right. Why? Well, fine. But A, there has been efforts before to try to make these dollars portable. It's always failed. Mm -hmm. Right. And it could probably fail again in Congress because, you know, local... Even representatives, even Republican conservative House members hear from their local school districts. They don't want to lose the money, right? Mm-hmm. Senators hear that. So mm-hmm. that, that's, right. that's the issue. Well, I guess the, the, the bigger question for me is some kind of, again, race to the top kind of program. Something that says, we're going to provide an incentive. If Arizona wants to expand its school choice offerings, we will provide extra money for that. And is there any risk that that is going to entangle the federal government? Now the feds are going to say, well, the only way I'm going to vote for that, uh, says a moderate Senate, Senator, Senate Democrat, let's say. Let's say uh, uh, Bennett from Colorado okay. says, all right, I'll vote for that bill, but there has to be requirements that you have to test the kids in the voucher schools. You have to report the results. And, you know, you can't have an admission standards for entry into those private schools. And the kids who are not re- are of that religion have a right to opt out. Dot, 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 dot. I mean, isn't that the risk that suddenly the feds get involved in some of this regulatory weeds that you just don't want Washington in? Yeah, I mean, there's always risks with anything and unintended consequences. And I think we all saw that, you know, four or five years ago with the Common Core battle. But I do think Betsy is a very, you know, pro-school choice, has a lot of background there, but she also has a very, you know, business background. and. I think the accountability thing will also be a question that people will be asking and will be wondering about. So I think there will be some sort of balance there. And, but I don't think it will be too many regulations. Mm-hmm. I, hopefully, Mike, that they look to the states on this, that it becomes more as a state, as Arizona, we have ESAs, we have tuition mm-hmm. tax credits, we have public charter schools, yep. we have traditional uh, district schools. We should be able to say, look, we're about access to excellence and we actually love it all in Arizona. So let us do that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, you guys could problem. really, you know, this windfall roll, for Arizona, man. Ka-ching, West. ka-ching, yeah. ka-ching. Yeah. Arizona being the fastest academic gainer in the country, we feel like this is a really potential, rich with potential moment, mm-hmm. I would say. We love so, it. So Betsy DeVos should simply come in and on her first day in office, write a big check to Arizona. <laughs> Arizona should not say no. uh, in a process like everybody else. It's just that we'll be better than everybody else right. and we would win. I like that. <laughs> Love the attitude. All right, Lisa Keegan, thank you so much for coming on so the Education Gadfly Show. You. Now it's time for everyone's favorite Amber's Research Minute. David Griffith, welcome back to the show. Hey, thanks so much for having me. David, stepping in for Amber this week. David, also fresh back from Australia, where you got to see a moon that looked like something right out of Star Wars, right? Uh, Yeah, it really did. It was about uh, the size of a saucer. It was a very strange color, and uh, we were in a strange country. Yeah. Although, I have to say, I really, I enjoyed it. It's just, uh, it's like kind of a silly version of California that's across the Pacific Ocean for some reason. 
Ah, a silly. He's got to hear that, Australia. He just called all of you silly. Silly. Yeah, yeah to all our Australian uh, listeners out there. Sorry about that. You should be surprised. I, I think we can figure that out. I think we actually have a few uh, from Australia. All right. So, David, what you got for us this week? All right. Thanks, Mike. I've got a paper that is called The Dynamic Effects of Teacher Turnover on the Quality of Instruction. Uh, and it's by Eric Hanyashek, uh mm. Steve Ribkin, and uh, Jeffrey Scheiman, I think. Sorry, mm-hmm. Jeff. These are some heavy hitters. These are some extremely heavy hitters, uh, and it's a pretty heavy paper, so I, I'll do my best with it. Uh, essentially, the paper examines the combined effects of overall turnover and the quality distribution of teacher transitions for a large urban district in Texas, um, with special emphasis on non-random sorting of students into classrooms, endogenous teacher exits, and grade switching. So. That, that's how they describe it. <laughs> David, did you read this while in I, Australia? I did. I, oh, I, I did not. You did not. Okay, good. I, okay. I mean, you are a, a wonk's wonk, but that, that would be over the top. Okay, I'm sorry. I, Go I, ahead. I'm getting out wonked here, Mike. Um, so the, the bottom line is that they find that um, it, it, there, there are some sort of things about teacher turnover that push in different directions, right? So on the one hand, we might think that turnover would be bad to the extent that we, uh, you know, good teachers might be lo- right. leaving mm-hmm. um, or that it, you might have some sort of institutional loss of knowledge. Uh, on the other hand, you might think that turnover could be good because maybe uh, less effective teachers are leaving mm-hmm. and uh, or being forced out. So there's sort of different ways to push mm-hmm. it. And basically what this paper tries to do is untangle these things. And the bottom line is it, it finds that on net turnover has a negative effect for low achieving schools, but not because the most effective teachers are leaving. Uh, it's essentially because uh, of the loss of experience and the loss of grade specific experience, which is mm-hmm. something we don't talk about a lot. But Frequently, when a teacher leaves, another teacher is sort of transferred over to take their place, mm-hmm. and, and and there's actually costs associated with that because mm-hmm. you're you're covering for somebody else, you're learning a new subject and a new grade, uh, and you're just not as productive. So it's interesting. It, turnover is an issue uh, in low achieving schools, but not for the reasons we typically think about, mm-hmm. um, which is you know it's not because you know they're losing their most talented teachers. You know, this is, uh, well, first of all, let me tell our listeners that we have a special guest, a, a second special guest on the show. This time it is Matt Ladner, also from Arizona. Matt Ladner, who is now at the Charles C. Koch Institute. Matt, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Or Dr. Matthew Ladner, as they call him in Arizona. That would be Matt. Yeah. So, uh, so you know, we're going to get you in this conversation as well. Uh, he is he was here at the same meeting with Lisa Keegan, this uh, great thing about A for Arizona. That I owed them because I bet that the NAEP scores for Arizona were going to go down last cycle because of the recession, and they went up instead. Darn it! All right, instead we led the nation in NAEP growth. Oh, God, crazy, crazy. So you know, Ladner, didn't we just see another study recently that found that there wasn't as big a teacher effectiveness gap as we thought? Right? You know, as, as it turns out, you know, we've assumed for a long time that high poverty schools you know, have much lower effective teachers than richer schools. That actually, if, if there is a gap at all, it's very small. I mean, this seems like more evidence that, that this, this idea we had that there were all these teachers who, as they got experience and were high achieving, left to go to the more affluent schools in the district. That's not necessarily what seems to be happening, at least in Dallas or the unnamed Texas city that I am assuming to be Dallas. Yeah, I think that's that's partially true. We can distinguish between people who leave the system entirely yeah. and people who go to other schools. So the results are sort of complicated there. But I think the bottom line of what you're saying is is true, which is that these teachers are not that are leaving these schools are not 
more effective teachers, right? right. They, Which is not to say they're less effective. They're just sort of typical. Yeah. Well, they are less effective. The reason that they are less effective is because they're just for the point in their career that they're in, yeah, they're, yeah, they're yeah, less yeah. effective. That's right. Yeah. That they're young. That they're younger. All right. I'm doing my best here. No, no, no. <laughs> this is this is this is all good here. Yeah, this is a big issue. Um, you know, like we already see it in Arizona. So there, there's a huge need to replace, you know, teachers on an ongoing basis. So it's, it's an interesting study. I like. To yeah. I mean, we do know. I mean, it seems like the one thing we know for sure is that almost everybody sucks their first year of teaching. And but oh, they get better. They, they get better. They get better three. faster. They get better quite quickly. And uh, we can also I think we know that you can predict pretty early whether somebody's eventually going to be a very good teacher or not. Yes, that's right. right. And because the, the, the difference between, you know, the experience thing matters, but it's dwarfed by yeah. the, the effects of just talent and ability. All right. Well, this is good. You really boiled out. That, that was quick. That was like, I think you only used a minute. David, are you still jet lagged, basically? <laughs> but I mean, what, what do we take away from this policy wise is, is what? It is, you know, that, yes, turnover is a problem, but the, 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 the solution isn't to, you know, some universal pay raise or, or something that doesn't distinguish between teachers because mm-hmm. when you pull apart the different reasons why turnover is a problem, it turns out that we don't actually have a problem keeping the best teachers. All right. So bottom line is it's still okay to fire bad teachers before they get tenure. Yes, that's still true. I like that conclusion. All right. Well, hey guys, thank you, Matt, for joining us Pleasure. over here. Nice to see you. Thank you, David. Uh, that is all the time we've got for this week. Until next week. I'm David Griffith. And I'm Mike Petrilli of the Thomas B. Fordham Institute, signing off. The Education Gadfly Show is a production of the Thomas B. Fordham Institute, located in Washington, D.C. For more information, visit us online at edexcellence.net.